Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. As I was preparing for this Sunday, um, I was thinking of my friend April um, because her story reminds me a lot of the two men in this parable we just read. So I asked April if she would share a bit of how she found her way back to God. Thank you for sharing with us, April. So when I was a child, I went to parochial school, and I specifically remember the day that a nun walked into our classroom and told us, you're all going to heaven because you're Catholic. Well, I had my ticket to heaven. This was great. But honestly, I wasn't that impressed with God. He was this old man who sat way over there. He did nothing for me. I was interested in those guardian angels. You know, I think that that kind of stayed with me because as I became a teenager, I started to get into more of the spirit realm, mysticism, eventually kind of went into parapsychology, And I think as each time I tried to find that next best thing, I was taking this downward cycle where I was no longer believing in God. I eventually, as I got into college, started studying sciences. And, well, science has all the answers, so I really didn't need God, and I didn't think he existed anymore. My uh, third year of college, I decided to transfer to the University of New Hampshire And first week in one of my classes, there was this guy in my class, and I kept on catching him staring at me, and he made me so nervous. I avoided him like the plague all that week. Well, the following week, the professor came into the class, and he said, okay, everyone, grab a lab partner. I'm telling you, it it wasn't even a nanosecond, and everybody had a lab partner. Uh, lab partner except two people. (laughs) You see, God had a plan because it was me and that guy. Well, that guy's name was Phil, and Phil was a follower of Jesus Christ, and Phil was vocal about his faith. Phil always carried this little Bible in his back pocket, and he would whip it out, and he would start reading aloud to me you know, at first I was, I think I was more fascinated by him because who does that? But more and more that he read God's word, it really started to penetrate my heart. God did have a plan for me. Phil bought me a Bible, and he, he was a new student too, so he finally found a church that he liked, and he invited me to go to the church. Um, I would read the Bible all week long. I couldn't read it fast enough. That distant God 
was now right here in front of me with his arms around me. That Bible was written for me, and God was whispering it into my ears. It really was penetrating my heart. So off to church we went, and we would discuss spiritual things, and I would discuss why I really wasn't fully convinced that Christianity was the real deal. We would get into church, sit down, pastor started his sermon, and he would speak on the exact thing that I was questioning on our way into church. I I turned to my friend Phil, and he's like, can you believe this? What a coincidence. (laughs) Well, the second week, same thing. We're driving into, into church. I'm questioning my faith. These are things of Christianity I don't know if I can really buy into. Sit down. Pastor comes, speaks on that exact same thing that we were just talking about 10 minutes ago. Now, for those of you that are a little bit slow today, understand that a pastor writes their sermons three, four days before Sunday. Before those thoughts became words on my lips, the pastor was already answering my question because God was working through him. Well, the third Sunday comes, and you can guess it. I had questions, and the pastor ended up speaking on that exact same thing. I looked at Phil, and I said, oh, what a coincidence. And he turned around and put his finger in my face and said, April, that is not a coincidence. That was my very first lesson from God. And I hope that you caught that because God not only had a plan for my life, God not only pursued me with an everlasting love, but God met me, the girl who liked all the mysteries and the weird things. He met me right where I was at. I think it was that night that I decided, this is what I want. This is the real deal. And I prayed a prayer and asked God to walk with me through life and into eternity. You know, Scripture says that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. I was free. I didn't have to go on and find the the next best thing. All I had to do was walk with Jesus. I do need to tell you that when I accepted Jesus into my life, I didn't change immediately. I I actually tried to bring some of that parapsychology and other stuff with me. But God was so gentle and gracious, and bit by bit he would peel this away or chisel that away. I still have my ticket to heaven. The ticket's name is Jesus. Thank you. April is also in a journey group with me, so that might be a lesson to you all. Like, don't be in a journey group with the pastor. She's going to make you (laughs) tell your story in front of the community. Oh, but how beautiful of God. God does that, doesn't he? God meets us right where we are. Thank you so much for sharing that, April. So uh, a few weekends ago, the leadership team here at Harbor got together and had a retreat. 
We do this about once a year to sort of revisit our vision and our mission and talk about how we're all doing in this work of ministry that we do together. Uh, This time, we spend some time thinking together about Greater Lowell, this community where God has placed us at Harbor. If we're to bring the kingdom of God into Greater Lowell, then we need to know about Greater Lowell. We need to know what Greater Lowell values, what's happening already in Greater Lowell, what places the kingdom of God is already at work, the places where it might be dark and some lightness needs to shine. And so one exercise we did asked us to consider what what do we think about what people in greater Lowell, people in our area, what do they really value? What, what are they looking for? What is it we think they might value? And these were some of the values that we talked about. We talked about how people in our community seem to really value this idea of um, achievement. We celebrate, right, when people move up at work, complete an advanced degree program, or win a state basketball tournament. We love the idea of lives that move up and to the right. It makes us feel significant. We talked about how people in our area really value the smaller communities that they belong to. That might be an ethnic group or a sports fan community or a dance studio. Uh, We talked about how in our area, people love to find that little space where they belong. It's nice to belong, to have people with, with who you feel like they get me. We talked about how people in our community value the ideal of diversity, how as the world changes, we recognize more and more the great power in diversity of ideas, perspectives, strengths, weaknesses. And we talked about how sometimes the things we want, these values, sometimes are at odds with each other. How we value the ideal of diversity, but that our desire for a comfortable place to belong sometimes makes it hard to realize that ideal. We value the ideal of just kind of holistic well-being and health, but this kind of running after achievement sometimes causes us to sacrifice our well-being or the well-being of our family so that we can achieve more. So at its core, this exercise was trying to help us get at what is it that our community is looking for? What are we looking for? Because we're all looking for something. We all long for a place to belong. We long for relationships that are healthy and mutually beneficial. We long for our families to be safe and healthy and happy. We long to be known and loved. We long to fully realize the unique personhood of who we are, even as we contribute to a community that's bigger than us. We long for a society that's just where people work together in harmony and equality. I don't think I know anyone who would disagree with that, those lists of things I just mentioned, things that we want. On those issues, I don't think it matters if we're black or white or Asian or African or Democrat or Republican or independent or wealthy or poor. We are all looking for something. And that's what these two short parables that Rosemary just read are saying. The man digging in a field was looking for something. The man searching for pearls was looking for something. They went about it in different ways. The man in the field seems to have accidentally stumbled on a great treasure buried in a field. See, in Jesus' day, burying silver, gold, other precious uh, items was common. There weren't banks. There were no safety deposit boxes. 
So the best place to put something you didn't want stolen was underground. This man seemed to have been wandering through someone else's field, either on his way elsewhere, or maybe he was working in the field as a hired worker, and he found treasure. He had to have his eyes open to find something valuable that was hidden there. The merchant was searching too, but he was searching in maybe a more intentional way. At Jesus' time, pearls had just been introduced to the region where Jesus lived. There was a historian called Pliny the Elder who said that pearls had first place among valuables. They were like the most valuable thing you would want. More than gold, more than silver, you would want pearls. They were rare, they were new, they were expensive. Just like the two men in these parables, we are all searching, and we search in different ways. What we're looking for might appear different. The way we're searching might be different. But the story of the Bible testifies that there is something we are all hardwired for that we currently don't have access to. There is something we were created for that currently eludes us. And so we search. We look for what we're missing for. Uh, we look for what we're missing in people, maybe looking for a relationship that will satisfy us, make us feel whole, loved, secure. We look for it in achievement, getting that next promotion or pay raise or advanced degree. Those of us with kids at home, we might look for it in the success of our children, making sure they have every opportunity so that they can be the most successful version of themselves. We might look for it in just trying to make a difference and make things better in our world through our volunteer work. And like the merchant, we're going to keep looking until we find what we're looking for, the real deal, as April called it. So the first question I want us to just consider together this morning is what are we looking for? What is it that we really want? If you created for yourself a list of the top five things that you want, what would it look like? What would be in your top five? What would be your top one? I don't know what your list of top five might be that you're working toward, but without knowing that, what's on your list, I can pretty confidently say two things about your list. The first thing is that the things that are on your list, I'm going to bet, are somehow pointing back to what you were made for. The things we value, the things we're seeking, those things are hardwired into me, into you, because you were created in the image of God. So God cares about achievement, accomplishment. God took a whole day to just sit back and enjoy his work in the garden. We were made to use our skills and our personalities to create and cultivate the world with God. That was his plan. So of course you like to achieve new things. And God cares about a place for you to belong. God within God's self is in community. That mysterious doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in perfect harmony, complementing each other, working in unity, eternally present together. That's what you were made for. So of course you long for a place to belong. And God created a unified diversity. He made people and plants and animals diverse because it's beautiful. 
And we were created to live in a society where justice is never tainted, where everyone is treated equally, where no one hoards power over others. So, of course, you crave those things. And, of course, you crave well-being, holistic health. You were made for a place where your body, your mind, your soul are always healthy, are never sick, never confused, never broken. The things we desire make sense because we were created for a perfect world. And at the root of everything you want most, I would guess that it somehow points back to what you were created for. So I can pretty confidently say that everything on your list points back to what you were made for. The second thing I can promise you about your list is this. If the top item on your list isn't God, isn't his kingdom, you will keep searching. You will keep looking for more. The merchant in that parable knew that he was only looking for the most special pearl, and he kept looking until he found it. That is how it is with us. Until we realize that what we're looking for is found only in God, only in his kingdom, we will keep searching for more. You will not find what you're looking for in that next promotion. You will not find what you're looking for in that friendship or in marriage. You will not find what you're looking for by putting your child in every activity you can so that they have every chance at success. You will not find what you're looking for by making more money or getting more degrees. You won't. Until you find what your soul is really looking for, you will keep looking. But these two men found what they were looking for. Even when he didn't maybe even realize he was looking, the man in the field stumbled on the greatest treasure he'd ever laid eyes on. The merchant, after searching and searching, finally found the pearl of great value. These two men speak to our different experiences of finding God in his kingdom. Some of us look very intentionally for God in his kingdom. Some of us just kind of stumble on it. That was what April was saying. Her story is one where she looked in these other places, and then finally God showed up right where she was. God reveals something to us. I think about Lee Strobel, who is a well-known pastor and author. He actually set out very methodically to prove that there was no God, and in the process, kind of proved to himself the opposite. (laughs) He had a method of how he was searching, and God is so gracious that God met him there. And that's what April said, the way she was searching. That's where God showed up. God met her right where she was. I was little when I first heard about Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. My story is different than your story and April's story. We all have different stories. Our journeys of finding our way back to God are all really different. But what's the same is that God does the revealing. God meets us right where we are and reveals himself to us at just the right time in just the right way. Some people meet God in a dream. Some people meet God in the pages of scripture. Some people meet God at a church service. Some people meet God in the woods. Revelation is a work of God letting himself be known. He reveals himself to us 
And in, in his amazing mercy, he does that in ways that we can understand. These men were overjoyed to find the treasure, to find the pearl. When they found what they were looking for, they knew it. And they were filled with joy. Jesus says these parables are telling us something about the kingdom of God. Specifically, these parables are telling us that the kingdom of God is the best, most valuable thing we will ever find. See, the kingdom of God is life. Real life. Perfect life as it was created to be. The kingdom of God is joy. Joy at being fully known by God, by others, being fully loved, belonging, perfectly embodying exactly who you were made to be. In the kingdom of God, there's perfect peace. Everything is as it should be. All creation is functioning the way it's supposed to. There are no tornadoes. There are no hurricanes. There are no devastating earthquakes. In the kingdom of God is perfect grace and perfect justice. Evil doesn't exist in God's kingdom. It has been eradicated. And somehow the Holy Spirit, like a skilled surgeon, takes all the evil out of us without destroying us so that we can live in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, innocents are never murdered. No one is oppressed. In the kingdom of God, perfect equality and harmony our reality. Everyone is perfectly one with each other and God as we exist together forever in the perfect harmony we've been longing for since the Garden of Eden. In the kingdom of God, we're never hungry, never cold, never lost. In the kingdom of God, there are no orphans, there are no widows. No one is abandoned or alone. In God's kingdom, we have perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy. And it goes on forever and ever and ever. Do you want that? I do. Have you considered recently what life is like in God's kingdom? I mean, really sat down and thought about it. When you found your way back to God, what was it? That, decided, that made you decide that it was worth giving your whole life over to Jesus. Many of us would describe our coming to Christ as a joyful experience, as weight lifted, as peaceful. In short, the kingdom of God is where we find the fulfillment of every longing our hearts have ever expressed. Our longings for purpose, for love, for belonging, for equality, for justice, for joy. All of it is fulfilled fully in the kingdom of God. And when we discover this about God's kingdom, we are just like that merchant searching for the pearl of great value or the man digging in the field. We've found it. And when we start to understand the kingdom of God, when we start to wrap our heads just a little bit around what it is that's waiting for us there, well, the only reasonable response is to run after it with everything we are. That's what these two men did. The first man sold literally everything he owned in order to buy the field the treasure was in. Why? Because he knew what the treasure was worth. 
He knew that selling literally everything he owned was not a loss because of the value of the treasure in the field. The same thing with the merchant. He sold everything he had in order to get that pearl because he knew the pearl was so valuable it would more than make up for anything he gave up in order to get it. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus felt about the cross. He invites us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus gave up his position in heaven, the majesty of the throne, and came to earth in the body of a human that died on a Roman cross. It was painful. It was unfair. But when he looked at what would be accomplished through his death, he faced it with joy. He knew that in his death, the way would be made for every human being to find their way back to God. That in his death, a path would be cleared for forgiveness for every sin that had ever or would ever be committed. The outcome of his death was so very worth the pain. That's what Paul talks about, too. In one of my favorite passages in the book of Philippians, Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says he considers all the best things he's ever had nothing compared to knowing Christ that all the best things life can offer are like garbage compared to participation in the kingdom of God. That's what this parable is all about. That's the big idea of the parables of the hidden treasure and the great pearl. The big idea is that when we find the kingdom of God, we realize the kingdom of God is worth everything. When we find the kingdom of God, when we realize that it is everything we have been looking for and more, the only reasonable response is to give everything we have up in pursuit of the kingdom of God. What wouldn't we give to participate in a world where we can see God face to face, where sin and suspicion never cloud relationships, where equality and justice and community and purpose all exist perfectly? If we get the amazing gift it is to participate in the kingdom of God, there is nothing we would hold back from God if he asked for it. And I can't think of a better example of what this looks like than my friend Andre. Andre is a pastor in Russia. Andre has ministry partners all over the globe, including my former church in Illinois. When the war with Ukraine started, he and his family had multiple offers to get them out of Russia. Come stay with us. You'll be safe. To take him away from the fear of being called up to fight in the army, the fear of being jailed or executed because of his outspoken opposition to Russia's war, 
Then millions of other Russians like Andre and his family took whatever offer they had and got out. But Andre and his wife and their three teenage daughters decided together to stay. Because Andre has a responsibility to pastor his church. Andre and his family know that in the midst of this horrific time in the history of their country, the gospel fields are ripe for harvest. People are searching for something. So knowing every day could be their last, they stay. My friend Andre has seen the kingdom of God. He has glimpsed what God has prepared and what God has been ushering in from the time of Jesus, and it is worth everything. It's worth his life. It's worth the life of his wife. It's worth the life of his three little girls. Their family has agreed together that the kingdom of God is worth literally giving everything for. And so they made their choice soberly, but joyfully. They are glad to be where God wants them, regardless of all the loss they've experienced so far and will likely continue to experience. And my dear brother Andre is one of many pastors in the world making the difficult choice to stay in the midst of war and disease and famine. I read an article this week about pastors on the front lines of the war in Ukraine who are suiting up in bulletproof vests and helmets to make house calls instead of leaving because God has given them a job to do because they've tasted the kingdom of God and it is worth everything, even their lives. And so with deep joy, they give everything, even their lives, in order to bring the gospel to the lost in order to help more people get a glimpse of God and his kingdom. See, when we see God's kingdom, when we get a glimpse of what's happening in God's kingdom, what we're invited to participate in, we naturally want to run after that first because it's better than whatever plans we have for ourselves. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God and his kingdom are better than your dreams that you have for your life? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that for your life? Do you believe that for your children's lives? See, my guess is that when we struggle to give up what we want for the sake of God's kingdom, it's not because we're just bad, selfish people. (laughs) It's not because we're lazy. It's not because we just aren't good enough at following Jesus yet. It's not because we need to do more and try harder. My guess is that when we struggle to give up our dream for God's dream, the reason is because in that moment, we're struggling to really believe that God's kingdom is worth it. Really believe. So this morning, I want to ask you to consider what it is you really want most. What really is the top place in your life? Ask God to help you see what your life says about what really matters the most to you. Ask God to help you be honest about what your actions say, about where your treasure really is. And if the honest answer, the honest answer is that God and his kingdom are not your top priority, be honest about that with God. He knows already. <laughs> 
but confess to him that although you want to want him more than anything else, you're struggling. And then ask him to help you see how his kingdom is worth more than whatever else you really want right now. Ask God to show you again the beauty of his kingdom, the value of his kingdom. Ask him to help you know him more and more until he is all you want, until you are indifferent to anything other than what he wants for you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never made a conscious choice to follow Jesus, to give your life over to his kingdom. And today, maybe that's the step for you, to say, Jesus, I want your kingdom. It is better than anything else this world has to offer. So help me live from now on for your kingdom, not my own, for your will, not my own. If you want to take that step this morning, if you say that to Jesus in your heart this morning, please tell somebody. Tell me so we can help you take your next steps on that journey. That's one of the reasons we do this thing called baptism. Baptism, it's a way we come together as a community around those who have decided that, yes, God and his kingdom are everything we want. We have decided to follow after Jesus, to run after his kingdom above all else. If you're thinking about baptism, you want to learn more about baptism, you're ready to be baptized, I'm actually going to be teaching a class about baptism in March that I'd love for you to come to. So you can write on your Connect card that you want info about that, and I'll reach out to you. But this parable is urging us to pay attention to what time it is. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God showed up on the scene. Since the time of Jesus, the kingdom of God has been slowly breaking in and will one day completely restore the whole world. So the invitation for us is to join him in that work, to throw off everything else and run with our whole hearts after God and his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we've gathered because we are searching for something. We're searching for you. We're searching for your kingdom. And we confess as a community that sometimes it is hard to keep you as our top priority, to keep you as what we're really running after. Sometimes that feels fuzzy. (laughs) When it's not life or death, sometimes it might even feel harder to see what is it I'm choosing, what is it I'm running after. 